Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interviewed Tungi Goretti, one of the founders of Cowboy who just raised a $80 million Series C to fuel its expansion into the US. Tungi debuted the C4, their latest bike, in the US at Micromobility America back in September. And this is the first time that I've had a chance to sit down with them to talk through the latest bikes and what funding will unlock for them. It's a great conversation. In the meantime, two quick things. If you like Micromobility and the podcast that we do here, you're going to love the new podcast that we've just launched called Infinite Block, where we ask what increasingly impactful disruption from innovation will do to our cities. It's the micromobility thesis just applied wider to tech and its impact on cities. Check it out on all good podcast providers. Secondly, if you're in Europe or want to come and enjoy Amsterdam in the summer, please come enjoy myself, Tungi, and more than a thousand others at Micromobility Europe, which will be in Amsterdam on June 1st and 2nd. It'll be an awesome gathering of builders, investors, policy people, shared mobility folks, and more, all getting together to celebrate the newest and best micromobility has to offer. We'll have pitch coaches and pitch competitions, and generally, it'll just be an awesome time. Come and check out the details at micromobility.io. And with that, here is Tungi. Let's go. Welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, Tungi Goretti. How are you, Tungi? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm very excited to have this conversation. Cowboy is one of those firms that I've seen from a distance for a long time and been really excited to have on the podcast. So it is a pleasure to have you on. Cool. Well, look, I, I want to start off with a little bit. I always find these stories interesting of how people came to found firms like yours, because it's not like you formed it in a vacuum. You know, people oftentimes have been thinking about urban transport for a while. And I know that you're certainly one who's also been in that camp. So Cowboy, the, the reason that it's so interesting is because you've just raised, what, another 60 million, brings your total funding to like, 120 million, you know, like we are one of the highest exactly. of the space. You're building a bike that clearly is doing very well. You just launched a C4, the standard C4 and then the C4 step through ST. Uh, you launched that at Micromobility. Thank you. Honored to be able to do that with you. That's the sort of the top line. You're clearly one of the biggest brands in Europe in terms of the urban micromobility space. Would that be correct? <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's, uh, it's correct. At least if we look at the numbers in terms of funds being raised, I don't know the sales number of the, the competition, but we can see more and more of our bikes in the cities of Europe and now also in the US. So we've just launched the US in, in 2021st. We've delivered the first bike in cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Europe. Super exciting to uh, to see them in the streets. But yeah, we've been live for five years now, and we've launched four versions of the bike. So I guess you can say we've been there for, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Yep. The bikes as well, just so for folks who kind of understand, the bike is quite a distinctive design. It's got a very thick seat tube, yeah. which is where the, the battery also lies vertically which is quite different to a lot of other designs. And it means that it's removable and it's quite distinct. Look, we're going to come back to that bike because I do want to talk about it, but but I do really want to 
go back to your story and how you guys came to start the company and, and think about that too, because I think that's as important and as, in, as interesting as well. So yeah, talk us through, how did you come to this? So we, we started the company in 2017, but actually we've been working on in 2016 on that concept for like three, four months. What we did was really to study the space and make sure that we could confirm a few ideas that we had. And basically the the idea was quite simple. When you look at the market in 2015 and 2016 of e-bikes, it was mainly like bulky e-bikes, uh, not really connected, not really well designed. And most of those people using e-bikes, it was basically all, all grandfathers because e-bikes, it wasn't cool to be seen on it. It was seen like cheating compared to a classic bike. And we're like, okay, those are a great way to go from A to B, but we need to make them cooler. So we we started from scratch. We started with a design. That's why we have something so unique on the market today because what we did was not to buy any parts of the shelf. If you look at the classic brand in the space today, what they do is they build a frame and then they will buy a kit from Bosch or Shimano mm -hmm. for the motor, the battery, the controller, and the display. We knew from day one that we wanted to do something really unique from a design point of view. We wanted the lights to be integrated into the frame. We wanted to have a carbon belt. We wanted to have the motor like hidden in the wheel, the battery should be removable and also the bike should be connected to you, but also to, to the internet. And so if you want to do something like that, you have to do your own design and your own development. And that's why it took us quite some time at the beginning to, to get it right. But it's really thanks to that, that today we can appeal to a younger generation. Most of the customers that are aged between 25 to 45 years old, if you look at the average age of the, the, the customers in that space, it's like it's older, it's more 45 and plus mm. buying e-bikes today. So clearly we did a, a good job at making it cooler compared to the other bike brands that you have in the space. And also the idea was to completely reinvent the services, meaning that compared to the other bike brands, we wanted to go direct and we want to go direct in the distribution, but also in the auto sales. And I guess we we'll discussed that after. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But all of those things, I completely agree. But I don't think you formed this in a vacuum. And I know that I actually know you didn't form this in a vacuum. So what was the stuff that you were yeah. doing before that, that kind of got yeah. you interested in this space? So together with my, my co-founder, we've been in the space of urban mobility for 10 years now. I actually have launched my, I've launched my first startup when I was 22. I was quite young at the time. I didn't know much. And basically what we did was a ride-sharing platform in Europe. and we did that for one year and that we went to the US in San Francisco to a bit discover the, the industry. And at the time we met uh, the guys from Zimride and basically those guys just launched what is called now Lyft, mm. the new ride sharing application. So it was before Uber, it was actually called Uber Cab at the time, I think. So yeah. more than 10 years ago, quite a long time. But when we saw that, that service, it was kind of a haha moment for us. And we knew that we wanted to do something similar in, in Europe. And so we developed that mobile application to connect rider and, and, and the driver together. And it was a way for us to provide a better service to, to our customers and also to make sure that you don't have people driving while being drunk. But it didn't really solve you know, the, the mobility problem inside the city. You still have cars on the road and those cars are still driving around. You make it safer, but you don't solve the issue for the people living in the city. And so that was the first kind of revolution that I saw. And then my co-founder, they saw another one. It was in food delivery. So you had all those 
couriers delivering food from Westwan. They, they started the platform in 2012, so mm. all, also 10 years ago. Yeah. And at the time, you had, like, you had like no one doing that. And the crazy thing is that those couriers, they didn't want to be seen on an e-bike because it was seen like, like cheating, like I was telling you. Mm. And so for them, it was also a first data point. Okay, we know that they can do more deliveries if they use an e-bike, but still, they don't want to use it because it's yeah it's bulky and and it's like cheating and it's for old people. It was really the the message. It's for old people, and so when they stopped their first company and when I did stop mine, we went together and we're like, okay, there is something to do in that space. Let's explore the e-bike industry and let's make sure that we can build something like Casper was doing at the time. Mm. Uh, you know, you had all that big trend about the DNVP, DNVP, sorry. So when you sell direct and you do your own product in-house and you wanted to do something similar, but in, in the bike industry. And so that's, that's really how we started really in 2016. Yeah. Awesome. And so you started with the C1. I've ridden the C3. I've read that in Berlin at our conference there, but, but C4, you know, there's a couple of things about it that make it quite interesting. I mean, it really is. Yeah. When we talk about connected bikes, it is as far as I can tell, probably the, the one of the most connected. I mean, it, it rides around, you can do everything on it. But you also have the neat feature of being able to put your phone on it and you're using the phone as the primary display, which is the first time that I've seen anybody actually manage to do that. It isn't mentioned on the website, but I assume you need a case for that to make your bike, the phone actually stick to the case or to the bike. Yeah, exactly. So what, so what we did was to integrate a quad lock system into the cockpit of the bike so when you lock the phone on the cockpit, it will automatically charge using a wireless charger built in into the bike. And yes, when you buy the bike, you can also buy the cover of the, the phone. It's quite lock. It's quite a, a known brand in, in the industry. And it's crazy to see that today we have more than 70% of customers buying the cover when they buy the bike. And so we expect the usage of the application to actually increase when they use the bike. It was already the case on the C3 and the C2 and the C1, like the application was always the screen of the bike. But before you had to build that small piece that you put on the bike so you can then look your phone. Now it's really built in and you also have a big incentive to put your phone on the on the cockpit because it will automatically charge. And so we expect our customers to use the application even more and we're going to use that to deliver more value during the during the trip. Mm. When you think about adding something that, that like a proper screen to a bike like that, that is removable, so you don't have to worry about it getting stolen, all that sort of stuff. But I think about the possibilities of what you could do with that. I've seen a, for example, a recent startup that's using cameras on the front and the back of the bike to be able to detect images and then to be able to like tell you if stuff's coming up behind you so that, and then give you a warning. And so you can see the bike it's like the parking sensors on a car you know it's like yeah, oh, you're yeah. going to be hit you're going to be hit or something like that and of course you can start doing all of that because you now have some visual real estate as you're riding that allows you to be able to like see and communicate all those details as well which obviously is impossible and it's adaptive over time as well i think it's smart i was quite taken with that as an idea yeah yeah well, you can really use the phone to uh, to increase the safety during the trip for instance what we do is we have a crash detection system so if you fall or if you have an accident, we send a notification to your emergency contact and they will be able to provide assistance to you. And for instance, we, we provided assistance to more than 500 riders since the beginning of this year. So it's, it's working quite well. Wow. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to use that, but it's also helping us collecting data. And we still need a bit of time to do that. But the idea would be to use those data to warn you in advance when you have a dangerous crossword uh, mm. in front of you. And so you will have the application 
giving you a warning, telling you that careful, that space is a bit dangerous for, for cyclists. And it's, it's really exciting because I'm talking about crash detection, but we're collecting more than 25 data points every second on the cowboy bike when you, when you use it. And for instance, we can recall the vibration of the accelerometer. And so we can automatically compute the quality of the road and tell you if it's a good road for a cyclist or not. And all of that will be built into a navigation system at some point. Mm. So today you can use the GPS to go back home. You will, you will have information about the air quality on your route. So we'll tell you to uh, take another one if it's too polluted, for instance. Uh, you will have information about the weather. So if it's going to rain later during the day, we'll tell you to tell a jacket, jacket and it will be built in again into the navigation system that you have on the bike. But all of that is a bit reactive and, and we just see a lot of possibilities if we really use the phone as the main way to communicate the information to the customer when they use the bike like you can do so many things compared to a black and white uh, lcd screen or LED screen you know so totally. that's why it's so exciting for us yeah i mean it really is the move between having a really basic cell phone to literally having a smartphone as the sort of device and computation right the other thing that i can think that would be kind of cool that we've talked about a lot on the podcast has been the idea that you can eventually do sort of specific navigation so one of the big things people obviously like why do people like to ride their bikes it's because they want to go to nicer areas and if there's a longer route but it's a nicer ride then that's the one that you'd probably want to go on but you'd need specific directions around that and you you can unlock those and be able to send people on that because i think about a lot of cities that i'll go to and i I just wouldn't have a clue. I was like, oh yeah, cool. Maybe I'll, I, I will go and explore on my bike because I can, but being able to get given that and, and, and know the directions is, is obviously really neat. Cool. Well, look, the only other part that I have that it's about the bike that I think is really quite interesting and unique is the fact that you use a carbon belt drive. Cause I think that's one of those ones that it's the, it's the Holy grail to me of seeing a good quality bike is knowing it's like, oh yeah. Okay. You've got a carbon belt. It's clearly well-designed, but you use a rear hub motor as well. So you have no gears. That's because you obviously you can't have gears on the, yeah. on the carbon belt. So how does that affect things like incline? Because I know, for example, Van Moof have, have tried to do something, but they ended up with a geared system. They run the motor on the front and all that sort of stuff. From your perspective, how did you think about it from a design perspective in terms of trade-offs? Because obviously you can't do as steep inclines and things like that. That's a really good question. So the idea behind Cowboy was to have a super simple bike to use. So you don't have any gears on the bike. You don't have any level of assistance, everything is fully automatic. It means that when you push hard on the pedal, it will give you more power. So obviously the bike is built to go between 25 kilometers per hour up to 32 kilometers per hour, but you can't really go above that. So if you want to go at 40 kilometers per hour, the, the, the cowboy bike is not made for you. That being said, what we see is that the average speed in cities for riders it's more between 20 22 kilometers per hour mm. and then you have a few guys like doing more than that but it's really the perfect way to go around the city but it's not a bike that we use to uh, to climb a big uh, big mountain for for sure and then the advantage of using a belt drive is that we wanted to design the bike for zero maintenance because as we sell direct we only sell on the website uh, we have a few retail store but like 95 percent of our sales it's, uh, it's happening direct on the website. We don't want to have too much maintenance to do on the bike. And so that's why you have hydraulic brakes. That's why you have the, the carbon belt. Uh, that's why you don't have gears. Like all of those choices, it's really helping us making the life of the, the customer simpler in case of, of issues or in case of, uh, of maintenance. So I would say that's the main reasons behind that choice. 
and also from a design point of view and aesthetic point of view, it's it's really looking good to have that carbon belt with the the wheel uh, and the motor at the back. Like it's a perfect balance. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you on that. And speaking of servicing, so what do you offer in terms of servicing? Like, how do you think about that? Obviously, you, I hear you on the you're selling direct to customers. They're not going to be going back to a bike shop that yeah. they've got, for example. Yeah. If I, if I take a step back, like we really wanted to reinvent the relationship between the customer and the brand and it's, it's happening at every step of the way so when you go on the website for the first time you'll be able to talk to you in less than, than five minutes we can reply like seven days a week and you'll be able to test the bike in more than 70 cities in europe so if you want to do a test ride you just go online you ask, ask for someone to come to your place and you would have a test rider with the, the c4 or, or the c3 whatever you want mm. testing the bike with you for like 30 minutes 60 minutes then when you order the bike like we make sure it's 99 percent assembled so you don't have to do a lot of things so it means you just need to readjust the brakes and you need to put the pedals on the bike that's it and then you're ready to go you just pair the bike with your phone and you can you can start riding and then you have two kind of things that you need to provide to the customers the first thing is if you have an issue you need to have a, a really good after sales service so what we did was to build a network of technicians in Europe. And it's actually the same network that we have for the best riders. Mm. And what we do is we first help the customers solve the issue by themselves. But if they can't or if they don't want to, uh, they can just use the app and they can book an appointment directly with the technician in the city. And we can come to their place in less than three days in, in all the cities we are in. So it's quite unique in the bike industry because Compared to like a classic bike brand, you really need to go to the bike shop, you know, you drop your bike, you wait for two weeks, you have to call the bike shop again, then you have to pick up your bike. Like it's not a, a really smooth experience. Compared you, to Kobo, you're, ex- just- you're explaining my exact experience with bike shops. This is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but two this is later. the that we, yeah. that we had as well. Like we yeah, were yeah. trying to solve an issue for us. And for instance, I had a, a small issue on my bike and I just booked a service and the guy came to the office, they solved the issue for me. Like it was so simple, you know, and so, so smooth. So that's the kind of experience that we want to provide to the customers because when you buy a cowboy, you just don't buy the bike. You also buy the ecosystem and the complete peace of mind. That's also why we have theft insurance, for instance, built into mm-hmm. the application. If you want protection, you can just use the app and in a few tap, you can subscribe to theft insurance. So really service is part of the key value proposition of, of cowboy and we have invested a lot in that area. Yeah. Yeah. When you say theft insurance, do you have a group of people who also go around and try and find the bikes? Not a la, you know, the no. bike hunters, but but I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if that's a marketing ploy or anything from Ben Moves, but, but uh, yeah, anyhow. In the cowboy bike, you do have a GPS, you have 2G, 4G, you have a Bluetooth uh, chip. And so you can know the location of the bike quite precisely. So it's quite easy for our customers to recover the bike and, we help them to contact the cops. And basically what's happening is they go together with the cops on site and they can prove using the phone that they can connect to the bike because basically the bike is, is still emitting on, on Bluetooth. And so the, mm-hmm. the cops have a proof that the bike is just behind that door, you know, and we recover more than 70% of the stolen bikes. So it's working well. We don't have, a, we don't have those bike hunters, but we really help the customer in the best way we can. And what we see is that also today we have less and less theft compared to before, specifically in Germany, Netherlands, and Belgium, because we've been there for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Because now the, the thieves, they know that you shouldn't steal a cowboy bike, because if you do, you will get the cops at your 
warehouse or at your apartment in the next 48 hours. So uh, there is still another buy compared to a, yeah, to a car buy. Yeah, I mean, my hope is that for micro mobility, especially with the, like the high end e bikes, that theft becomes similar to like an iPhone theft these days, which is nobody really steals them that much because everyone kind of knows they're yeah. going to be locked and you can't really use them and da 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 da. So, I mean, people still, but it's, it's certainly way less than it used to be. So, you know, how do you view competition? Who do you find that you're competing against? Yeah, the, the market is completely different in Europe and in the US. Mm. So, in Europe, I would say that we compete mainly with Bosch because when you ask people what kind of bike they want to buy, most of the time they will not mention you the, the brand. They will tell you, I want a, I want a Bosch motor. And right. today, Bosch is really killing it. Like they, they own most of the, the market share if you look at the, the motors being sold in Europe, especially in Germany. And Germany is the biggest market for e-bike in Europe. It's also the biggest market for us. So we, we compete more against them. But if you look at the connected bike and e-bike, you don't have that many... Uh, companies like we're expecting to see a lot of competition in, in that space but to be honest we just have a move and and we have a lot of respect for them like they've been there for i think more than 10 years now mm-hmm. they, they've done an amazing job like from a design point of view they have a, a really good looking bike but if you look at the connected aspect they see the application more as a remote to control a few things on the bike and, and to track the bike if it's stolen. When at Cowboy, you really see the application as part of the experience when you, when you use the bike every day. Uh, like, the, like you were saying, the, the application and the phone is really the screen of the bike. So it's completely different. And I would also say that on the service part, like it was really part of our DNA to have those on-demand uh, test riders and on-demand uh, technicians. At Van Move, like I think they have retail stores. Yeah, they've got a lot of brand stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's not really the same approach. It's not good or bad, but we are different on that. And then you have customers choosing the the brand that they want. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Even just your idea um, that you said of going to a rider and saying, look, we'll bring a bike to you to test and you don't come to a retail store. It's like in the age of building brands, these days it's really like the most kind of raw experience you can have of a of a thing to that the brand you don't have a shop that you go to it's literally like we'll turn up and you just try the product and if you like it cool you can buy it and if you don't well then that's cool as well yeah (laughs) like very few companies are able to do that but it is possible these days you know that's the kind of amazing thing yeah it's possible but to make it work you need a really good product and we can only do it because when we do a test ride, in 30% of the cases, they will buy the bike just after the test ride. So it means that the conversion rate is, and it's because the, yeah, the bike is, is, is really good looking. And, and when you try the bike for the first time, you have that, that bow effect. You understand the value proposition because the test rider is, is really selling the bike super well compared to having a bike at, a, I don't know, FNAC or Decathlon, for instance, in, in Europe. Mm. And so it's really helping us build a brand and, for us, it's completely sustainable to expand and grow that, that channel because the conversion rate is so good. Uh, it wouldn't be possible if, if you have a conversion rate at 10%, for instance, it wouldn't be, uh, mm. be break-even, for sure. Mm, mm, mm. But it's funny. I mean, I've, I've been through an e-bike buying experience recently, and I really found it very frustrating to go into a bike shop and kind of look around, and you can go and ride an e-bike around in the, in the car park, and it's it's just not the same to be able to go from your house and think about, oh, well, cool. I would go from here to here 
I want to ride around my neighborhood. I want to want to feel what it would be like in my neighborhood. That's a really amazing, and I imagine that you, you, I take you, you're not allowed to tell me what your conversion rates are, but I just, I feel like they're, they're clearly high enough to you for, for you to justify sending someone out to um, pay them to stand yeah, yeah. there while someone zips off around the neighborhood on the bike. So no, it's working really well. And it's also a cool thing to do for companies. So we have a lot of customers like trying the bike at their office and then they will they will be so impressed that they will tell their friends and colleagues and, and then you have like 10, 15 people trying the bike at the same time. So for us, it's really a, a way to build the brand. And the other thing working really well for us is basically our customers doing test rides for, uh, for Cowboys. So today we have a, a referral program built into the app and we have more than 20% of our sales coming from that channel. So it means that our customers really they are the best ambassadors for the brand and they really mm-hmm. help us acquire new customers. Yeah. Awesome. Speaking of that, I mean, obviously that works when you've got a big base of bikes, but when you're launching into a completely new market, obviously that's, that's tricky. And so I do want to talk about the U S you've obviously just fundraised a lot of money. You are doing the push into the U S what is different for you about the U S market versus the European market? Like how are you thinking about it differently? Yeah. The U S it's super exciting because the market is still really, really small. So if you get there now, you can grow with the market and it's like doubling or tripling every, every year. You have rad power bike, but we don't really compete with them. Like we don't really sell the same product and the same experience. And so if you get the, the premium uh, segment, you have Van Move, but you don't have any other brands. Like you have a few, but not that many compared to, to Europe. And so it's really, really exciting for us. We're going to invest quite a lot of money there. And yeah, it, it's, it's challenging as well because from a logistics point of view, for instance, it's so big compared to Europe, like you have to change all your processes. And for instance, you want to make sure that you can fix your bike in three days in US to achieve that kind of, of timeline. It, it's super tough. So we have to work with different warehouses in different cities. Also in, in, in Europe, like all the technicians, they are using a bike to move around the city to go from one customer to the next and fix the and fix the bike mm. you can't do that in a city like los angeles yeah. so you have to change the way you you manage and you hire those technicians so it's a, it's a bit different as well but then from a marketing and playbook point of view it's quite similar to europe so the the reviews that we have in the us so far it's really really positive we had more than 50 articles you know from the financial times to forbes to the verge TechCrunch, like all the big names they mm. they're quite like enthusiastic and positive about the product and then it's the same playbook over and over. So we build a, the network of test writers. Then we push influencers. We push reviews with the press. And then we use our customers to create some, uh, some awareness and some uh, word of mouth. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's going well. It's really exciting because we've delivered the first bikes in, in San Francisco, New York, Seattle, Los Angeles. And, and now we can see them in the streets. So. Are you doing a similar strategy in the sense that you're going very specifically to cities? You're not saying, hey, anybody in the US anywhere can buy a bike. It's like, no, you have to live in these places first. No, so you can buy the bike everywhere in the US except a few a few states. But we really focus all the marketing and all the advertising on those key cities because conversion is just like much higher compared to the rest of the, the US. So yeah, as I was saying, those top five cities that account for more than 80% of the sales of Cowboy today. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. From a customer perspective, are you seeing the same people buying in the US as you are in Europe? Yeah, but I think it's because it's the, the beginning of Cowboy in the US. So today it's it's more like, you know, the early adopters and you have some people following us for, for years now in Europe and those guys, they bought the bike on, on day one as soon as we've launched the 
the product in the US. So I can't wait to have the start of the season in April and May to actually see the, the sales picking up because today it's, it's cold in Europe, it's cold. So in the US, you don't sell that many bikes mm. uh, and everything will be happening in, in, in just a few weeks. Yeah. And of the breakdown, I mean, you, you launched the step through bike. I'm curious as to how the sales have been going for that relative. I know you probably can't give a breakdown, but is it, has it surprised you? Is it 50, 50? Can, is it skewed? You have more, no. So you have more people buying the um, ST in the U S compared to Europe. Mm. So that's quite exciting because the ST for us, it's, it's going to be bigger than the classic Cowboy 4 that we have, but our customers are mainly men mm. for the Cowboy 1, Cowboy 2, and Cowboy 3. We had to open up the brand to attract a new kind of customer. All the people are also women. And so we can see that in the US, it's easier for us to build that new brand from day one because people didn't know us. And so we have more and more people buying the ST compared to, uh, to Europe. Yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. In some ways, it's a, a new start. The final kind of thing that I'd, I'd really love to dig in on is some of the metrics around bike and app usage because I think that's... My sense, having talked to Martin Mignot from Index Ventures, because he was one of your early backers, he shared with me, he was like, we were kind of blown away by how much people love these products and how much they use them and and that sort of thing. Can you talk me through some of the interesting stuff on bike and app usage that you're seeing? Yeah, sure. So our customers use the bike on average eight to nine times a week. They will do trip of five kilometers on average. They charge the battery one time a week. But the really cool thing is that since we've launched a new update of the application in November. Basically, that update will push you to go further to ride the bike more frequently because you can now compete against yourself but also against other riders. And now we have auto riders doing more than 1,500 kilometers per month. It's more than 50 kilometers per day on average. It's it's crazy amount and we can see that usage is going up because you have that competition between them. We can also see the top speed going up. That's quite crazy because you have all those personal records that you will get in the application mm, and then mm. we'll uh, tease you to uh, basically make sure that you can beat your record and if we detect that you're doing a good trip for instance we'll tell you okay if you continue we'll be able to um, to beat that and so you have people going to um, above like 32 kilometers power on average for a ride of like 50 kilometers so that kind of trip it's only happening thanks to the new application because you can track all those data and all those stats within the app and so you want to to show that to your friend, you want to prove to yourself that you can you can do it, and it wasn't possible before. So, yeah, it's it's quite crazy to see how people are using the bike now because today they see the bike as a way to stay active, and they want to replace even more car trips compared to before. And like before COVID, it was just the bike to commute and to go to work, let's say. Mm. So user just changed, and yeah, it's super exciting to see that going up. As you're talking through this, it reminds me of Peloton and, you know, the traction that I have, a lot of people have to Peloton is the ability to be on a leaderboard and to see how you're doing and track against your friends and all that sort of stuff. And I've always, I've always thought it was quite hilarious that it was happening with something where you're just pedaling in a room and like, why wouldn't it, you know, you'd want to almost have an experience where you can go out and do it in the real world, you know? And so it's cool to hear that that's one of the first platforms that I've heard of with a bike where it's being, you know, you're being able to compete with your friends and, and understand what that's about makes a lot of sense and it makes a lot of sense as to why people will be excited about it cool well look the final one that i'd just love to ask about is is fundraising only because i always ask that question you know about the question of fundraising and i do think that you guys have been some of the best in that game at it 
you know, obviously the amount that you've raised has been pretty staggering. I was surprised if I'm totally honest, because I hadn't realized that you were that big. It really put you on the map. I'm not in Europe. I haven't seen your sales. It looks like a good looking bike, but I just had no relevant, you know, I had no reference point for how that's gone. Can you take me through that fundraising journey? Because obviously you raised a bit in the beginning. How's it been in terms of like who you found your fundraising from in the beginning versus now? Is it because hardware has been traditionally a hard area to, to raise in? And are you finding that you're nowadays still dealing with VCs or are you into private equity? Has the business become more of a private equity play versus a VC play over time? And how have you thought about that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, we need to move away from, from VCs. And, and you're right, it's difficult to raise when you have a, a hardware a company because most of the VCs, they use to invest in software and they expect to see the same kind of returns and, and margin and LTV, but it's not the case when you have a hardware company. So you have to find that balance between yeah, those VCs doing software, but you have also a lot of new VCs doing pure consumers. And we've talked a lot, a lot to them but yeah, you have to build your list like, a lot in advance. You have to follow the space. We're lucky that we have uh, all those companies in the micro space like Voy, Tier, Lime, Bird, like all those guys raising a ton of money. It's also educating the market. It's also educating the VCs about the kind of usage, but also challenges that you can have when you have a other company. Mm. And yeah, to be honest, the, the COVID crisis, it was quite scary for a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of um, investors, because you didn't know what would happen on the supply chain side. And for us, it was really the main challenge to get that under control. And we are lucky to actually being able to raise money because part of that investment will go toward that supply chain and really make sure that we have stock of, of C4 that we can invest in production line, that we can also increase our capacity with our suppliers, that we can be on the ground to help them grow with us because when you grow quickly with, with hardware, you also have to, to grow your suppliers and that's mm. really a full-time job. And so it's easy when you get the money because at scale, everything becomes easier. But if you raise money now, like for a new startup in the e-bike space, it's going to be super challenging because supply chain is so, so difficult. No one will talk to you because they just don't have the capacity and they don't want to take on board a new customer. And so we're lucky to be there for five years now and to have those amazing investors on board because a lot of them, they've invested in Series A, Series B, and Series C. So they've been following us for, for quite some time now. So your bikes, are they manufactured in Taiwan? So we assemble the bikes in Europe, in Hungary, yeah. but we have 60% of the components being made in Asia and then 40% being made in Europe. We're looking at investing a bit more in Europe, but to be honest, you have to change a bit the way you, you approach the, the, the supply chain today because of the logistics crisis and also because of everything happening in, in Asia. So it mm. makes a lot of sense for us now to invest quite some money to bring back some activities from Asia to, uh, to Europe. Yeah, no, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. You didn't have any bikes stuck on the Evergreen? They got uh, stuck in the Suez, did you? <laughs> No, but it was crazy. Like you had delays on everything. Yeah. And for us, it was in the middle of the production. So yeah, you had so many things happening at the same time, the COVID, this, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be in the other business. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, and, and, and look, I, I mean, just hats off to you for the business that you've built. I think it's a 
testament to you and the team that you've managed to build something that's so compelling and, and clearly does so well with customers and, and obviously a, a good company around it as well. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with anybody, either that you wanted to share with them or if they wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about Cowboy, how would they find those details? You can go on cowboy.com to discover the product. We'll be at Source by Southwest in Austin. So if you don't hesitate to ping us on LinkedIn or, or Facebook and we'll reply. Awesome. That's great. Hey, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in Amsterdam in June for Micromobility Europe. Yeah, for sure. We'll be there as well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Hey, well, thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Sarah.